so you guys, we need to have a no judgment zone for this next little part, okay? Like I know that you guys are gonna wanna judge me with what I'm about to say, and I need you to not, okay? So I'm gonna read a verse just to rebuke you guys for wanting to judge me, okay? So Matthew 7 says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Oh, okay. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the same measure you use it, it will be measured unto you, okay? You guys understanding that truth? Because I'm about to confess something that I don't want judged for, but I love the reality show Survivor. <laughs> like, I love it. It's like so good. Like, I watch every season. I haven't applied yet, right? <laughs> but I love that show. Okay, so Melissa and I just finished watching, binge watching a season recently, and uh, there's this guy, and he, he calls himself like a neurotic bald guy, you know, he says that about himself. He's kind of quirky, and like, he starts off the season, and he is like scared of bugs, he's scared of fish, he's scared of water, he's scared of everything, and he's like freaks out anytime, anytime something touches him, and you know, so he's, he's this like kind of neurotic, crazy, fearful person, and there's one point in the show where he's being interviewed, and he, he makes it basically almost to the end, he gets like fourth place, and, uh, but there's one point in the show where he's talking about the transformation um, that he's experienced during Survivors, because over the season, he kind of he you know, manned up, you could say, right? He wasn't scared to do stuff, he was able to start fire, he, he was, wasn't scared of bugs and stuff anymore, and he said, he's like, my whole life I've had this powerful fear of death, and over time, that turned into a fear of life. So he would just lock himself up, um, pull himself away. And that really stuck out to me, that, that idea right there, that if you're so scared of death, you actually almost have a fear of life itself. Well, today we're talking about resurrection, that Jesus has the power over life and death, that he can raise the dead to life. So we don't have to be scared of death anymore. And in fact, it also means that we have the ability to live life to the fullest, knowing that for us, death is only the beginning as well. Death is a, a time for us to then move on to eternal life with Jesus forever. So I posted a little video recently. I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know, as a child, I really feared death. And I would lay in bed and I would not be able to sleep and I'd often have to have my parents come pray for me and stuff because I was terrified of death. And specifically, I thought that when I fell asleep, my heart would stop beating. So I had this fear and I would think about it all the time and I would listen to my heartbeat as I was, I was going to sleep as a kid. And like, then I couldn't stop thinking about it and I was scared that if I stopped thinking about it when I fell asleep, that my heart would stop. It's irrational, right? And my parents explained to me that like, that's not a thing uh, and I didn't need to worry and I could sleep, but I did. I had this fear of, of my heart stop, uh, to stop beating. I had a fear of death. In Hebrews chapter two, it says this, since the children, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So speaking of Jesus, he too became a human. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Paul is telling us here that Jesus became a human, and as a human, as God in flesh, God incarnate, 
He dies the death that we should have died for the sins that we committed. And in that, he also defeats Satan and and breaks the power of Satan who was holding um, the power of death. And now Jesus has the power over death because he rose from the grave. He conquered death. And now Jesus has uh, the power, right? And it says he does this for us who what? All their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, how many of you have thought about death extensively? Like, or do you just try to like put that thought away from you, right? Because if you do think about it, it scares you. Well, I think when we're, we're young, we think that sometimes we're invincible, right? Uh, maybe when we're in high school and stuff, we think, ah, nothing can kill me. I, and I, I drove like that. So I was in like a lot of car accidents. and I got my sus, uh, license suspended as a 16-year-old because I just didn't fear death, and I really should have. Uh, and one of the wrecks, the, the police officer said that I was, it was a miracle I was alive. That's what he told me. And uh, he's like, don't ever drive like that again. <laughs> and... Uh, I did, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't, sometimes we don't have a fear of death because we're young and stupid, but if, sometimes that's because we're trying to put the thought far from us, but it, when we think of death, for most people, it is something that we're scared of. We're scared of what's on the other side. What, what is there? What is beyond this grave? And if you talk to people, right, whether they're atheist, agnostic, or of a different religion, death is something that they think about. It's something that they do wonder about and are probably scared of. But because of Jesus, we do not have to be scared of death. Isn't that amazing? Like there is hope beyond the grave. There is new life. This is the most important doctrine in all of Christianity. Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing. He said that if it is not true, then we are to be, of all people in the whole world, most pitied. Because we serve a God who can actually rescue us from death. We serve a Jesus and worship him and and, and give our lives to him. If he can't actually raise us from the dead and fulfill that promise, then we are of all people to be most pitied. And Christianity hinges for each one of you, not based upon whether or not you like the things that Jesus said, but whether or not Jesus can raise you from the dead. That's the most important thing. That's why we serve him. That's why we believe in him. That's why we follow him. That's why we do things the way that he said. Because he has the power over death. Amen? Listen to this verse. 2 Timothy 1.10. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That verse is awesome. I specifically like it in the NIV because it chooses the word destroyed. Oh, man. Death is destroyed because Jesus has the power over death. He has the power to raise us from the grave to spend eternity with him in perfection. Are you guys excited about that? My wife uh, is, is awesome. You guys know that. Um, and we were talking, and, you know, and we were just talking about, you know, in life we have expectations, and it's, it's easy to get disappointed and frustrated and so forth. And... She was just saying, but if we look at things in light of eternity, right, and think that way, like, this, is, this life's nothing. At the end, I'm going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. When you think through that, 
when you allow that to be your mindset, you really can go through anything and with hope. I'm excited. So we're going to see today in John chapter 11, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's a famous story, uh, and it's a great one. And he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the timeline of this is really important. This Lazarus resurrection happens within two weeks of Christ's own resurrection. That's how close they are. And it's Jesus' really last sign of who he was, was that he has power over death. And so he raises Lazarus from the dead to build up the faith of his followers and the people to see that when he raises from the dead, it's because he has the power over death. So it's his last and final uh, real sign that he gives us before his own death and resurrection. Let's read. We're going to start here in verse 1 of John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, 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 <laughs> sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So this is, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and we see Mary and Martha fairly often in the Gospels. Uh, Mary and Martha are these two sisters who have complete um, opposite personalities, as a lot of siblings do, actually. Uh, one is, you know, she's organized, she thinks through things, uh, she's a planner, she's a doer. The other one, Mary, is more emotional. Um, she probably is more, is led by her feelings. Um, and so we see that this one story where, where Martha's kind of working in the kitchen, cleaning things up, getting things ready, and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and just learns. And, and so we, we learn in that story that Jesus says, hey, sometimes like this is good. You need to just come sit at my feet. Stop working for a bit. Come rest in me. And so we do learn that example. But we see that because they were two very different people. And the Marys of life, right, the Marys you know, they're always frustrated with the Marthas, and the Marthas are always frustrated with the Marys, right? The organized ones are always frustrated with the unorganized ones and the unorganized ones are always like, hey, you think about these things too much. You just got to let go and relax, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Lazarus is their brother, and they say to Jesus, the one you love is sick. That word love there is phileo. It means brotherly love, like close friendship love. So we know that Lazarus is a close friend of the disciples. He's a close friend of Jesus. Even Jesus would have seen him as one of his closest friends. And they're saying, hey, the one you love, he's sick. So they send word to Jesus. Verse 4, then he heard this. Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Praise God that the sickness that he hears report of, he says, won't end in death. So I think those who are around him when he says this, probably thought he was going to do another healing, right? That would be the most natural thought. Oh, you've healed a bunch of other people. Great, you're going to heal Lazarus too. Awesome, praise God. But Jesus is thinking about something actually a lot more amazing. He's thinking about, no, I'm going to let him die, and then I'm going to raise him from the dead. See there it says, will not end in death. That's the good news about Jesus. That's not the end. 
It's not the end. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, so it changes words here for love. It's now agape, which is Christian love, God's pure love. A love that sees beyond the situation. A love that goes far beyond friendship. If pure and true, a holy love, the love of God. So Jesus loves them. So he runs and, and heals a Lazarus immediately. But that's not what it says. Don't you think it's weird what it says? He loves them purely, truly, like nobody else can. So he stays two more days. He doesn't answer their cry. He doesn't ask, answer their, their request for help immediately. He doesn't go, oh, Lazarus is sick. Like, get my sneakers. We're going to run there. Right? Like, no, he stays two more days because agape love, God's true and pure, holy love, sees things outside of time, sees things in a purer way, and does not always do things the way that we think they should be done. God loves all of us with agape love. And sometimes you might doubt God's love because you're like, you're not answering this prayer. You're not giving me this thing that I want. And God says, no, I'm not because I love you. You just don't see the full scope yet. So he stays two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to, to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were... Uh, there uh, tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So it's a strange conversation here. It appears that the disciples are suggesting that they wait till it's dark and travel at dark because the Pharisees over the last three and a half years have gotten um, more and more angry with Jesus, and they are plotting more and more seriously about how to arrest him and kill him. And the disciples know this, that every time the, they're having run-ins with them, these conversations are much more heated. And we've read in John the last several times that Jesus runs into them. They're picking up stones to stone him. And Jesus is just barely making it out. We've seen that multiple times here in John. So tensions are rising. And so they're saying, I think here, the disciples are suggesting that they go by night. And Jesus is saying, hey, like, don't worry about it. We're not going to travel um, in shame. We're not going to try to hide. We're just going to walk during the day. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> I think a lot of us believe that, right? It's like, oh, I just need some sleep. <laughs> Melissa believes that more than anything. If she's not feeling good, it's always because of sleep, <laughs> right? Or the lack of it. And having two kids, it's probably true. Um, but it's like, how are you doing? I could use some sleep. That's her answer. <laughs> uh, they say, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. 
So he says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. What, to heal him, which is what they were asking. He, and he's like, now he's dead. And I'm doing this so that you will believe. Let's go. Then Thomas, also known as Dynamus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So it's clear that they're all very fond of Lazarus. He must have been a very likable guy. They had a very close relationship with him. And you know what? Like sometimes when somebody really close to you dies, like Thomas is saying here, like, let's go die too. <laughs> I mean, it seems emotional or dramatic, but Thomas is in pain. Jesus just told him that one of their closest friends is dead. And Thomas says, like, I just want to die too then. I mean, I have never lost a really close relative or something like that yet, but it will happen to all of us, won't it? One day, all of us will lose a close relative, a close family member. I've had friends that have, have died. Um, pain, you're right, it's, it's, death is painful. It is. So Thomas's answer here, I think, is relatable. Let us go die, that we may die with him. And they go and they, they do travel to this area. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's a bold statement of faith there. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You know, based on that story I referenced where Martha was working in the kitchen and getting everything ready and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, she often gets a, like a bad rap, right? Like um, we think of Martha as this doer who didn't care about Jesus, who, who didn't worship when she should have worshiped, didn't sit with Jesus when she should have sat. But like, look at the things that she's saying here. Like, I like Martha. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a doer and I'm always learning how to rest and sit at the feet of Jesus better. But you know what I like about Martha is she's theological. She's thought through things. And she says to Jesus, like, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Like, that's bold, crazy faith. The Jews taught that the spirit would hang around for two or three days near the body. But after the fourth day, the spirit couldn't hang around the body because the body had decomposed enough the spirit wouldn't recognize its own body. Now, it's not in scriptures, but it's something they taught. And so they believe now that, I mean, Lazarus is not just dead, dead. He's dead, dead, dead. You know what I mean? Like, it's four days. His body's decomposing. His spirit is definitely not near anymore. It's definitely moved on. Like, this is something that, like, Lazarus is dead. Everyone would have confirmed that. They had all these people around. 
Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days, but she says something amazing. God will give you whatever you ask. And then they have this little bit of a beautiful theological discourse here where Jesus, you know, says, your brother will rise again. And she's like, I know, in the resurrection on the last day, right? So she's thinking, like, man, there is this resurrection. There is this new life. Wow, like, that is a good truth. That gives me hope. And Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And he asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. Listen to this. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Like, I like Mary. She's theological. And she's taking these doctrinal, theological truths that she's mentally processing, and it's helping her deal with the emotion of her brother dying, right? So Jesus, we're going to see, takes two different tactics with Martha and Mary because they're two different type of people, and he helps them through their grief in two different ways. It's beautiful. With Martha, it's the doctrinal promises of God, these theological truths that he's helping her process and grieve, but yet have hope, right? She was a thinker. She was a doer. She was a driven person. She was... uh, you know, type A, she made decisions with her mind, so Jesus meets her where she is. I think it's beautiful, but look here with Mary. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house comforting her, Noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing that Martha was saying. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So what does he do with Mary? Does he give her some doctrinal truths, talk about theology, talk about the promises and the hope of God? No, he weeps with her. He just weeps with her. Because Martha, in that moment, didn't want to hear the doctrine. She didn't want to hear the theology. In that moment, the promise of God was not going to comfort her. In that moment, for Martha, what comforted her was that the one she loved and trusted weeped with her. That's what comforted her. Jesus has this amazing ability here to read the situation, to know the person, to find their need, and to meet them there. Weeping with someone is good, and encouraging someone with good theology, doctrine, and promises is also good. But Jesus had the wisdom and relational sensitivity to answer each person appropriately. To meet each where they needed to be met. I think our natural tendency is to do what we would want for us. So if you're a Martha, you would want the doctrinal truths. So that's what you're going to give when somebody's mourning. When somebody's in a hard place. You're going to remember, though, remember this verse here? But 
And if you're a Mary, you just want to cry and you want people to cry with you. You don't want to talk about theology. You don't want to talk about doctrine. Please don't. And it's not that one or the other is wrong. But we need to be relationally sensitive like Jesus is and say, what do they need? Not what would I want, what I think is good. But what does this person need? What does the moment need here? And then meet them there. I think Jesus gives us this beautiful example of how to help others in grief. And it's by having relational sensitivity. You know, I listened to this one pastor, and uh, I love his messages because he's like a, he's just like a commentary, just like, just floods you with historical things. And he seems like he's just this Martha type, thinker, doer, you know, and he, he thinks through, like, his messages have more content than in, in them than anybody else I've ever listened to, and I love it. But he talked about, um, in a sermon I listened to a long time ago, how when his dad died, all these people in his church would come up to him and give him verses. And he said it drove him nuts because he's like, I taught you that verse. Leave me alone. <laughs> he's like, you don't think I know the verse? I taught you that. I discipled you. Like, I taught you that verse. Like, I don't want to hear it right now. It doesn't bring my dad back from the dead. It doesn't make me feel better. I just need to cry. <laughs> like, sometimes, like, we do just need to cry with people. Sometimes the right thing to do is to give them the verses. Sometimes it's to just sit there with them, be quiet with them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That's a good question. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. So I mean, it's, I mean if he's been de decomposing for four days now, like the smell of death is probably pretty bad. And Jesus says, hey, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Roll away the stone. And then Jesus' prayer here is so interesting to me. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You know what's amazing here? Jesus thanks God preemptively because great faith can do that. Great faith can believe in what God is doing so much that you can preemptively thank God for it. Now, weak faith or small faith can't thank God preemptively. I'm not saying it's not faith, because it's still hope that it may happen. But great faith is large enough to know it's going to happen and to thank God for it preemptively. And Jesus does that here. He says, thank you, God, that you hear me here. He knows that God is going to raise him from the dead. He knows that this is going to happen. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen 
and a cloth around his face. He looking like a mummy. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So this is the ultimate sign. The most important miracle that Jesus performs is the resurrection of Lazarus because it is a faith-building sign of his own resurrection to come. And we know that Jesus' resurrection is the hinge by which our entire Christian faith swings. It is the foundation for all Christian doctrine is the resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ. So Jesus gives this beautiful sign of raising Lazarus to the dead to build up the faith of those who witnessed it, the disciples and others, so that they would also believe in his own resurrection. And many are believing. What's interesting, we'll see in the next chapter that the Jewish leaders want to kill Lazarus after he's been raised from the dead. Poor guy, <laughs> right? Like he's like, I died of some sickness. I got raised from the dead. That's crazy. And now people are trying to murder me. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Like, do you know why? I, th- I believe strongly that the enemy, that is Satan, wanted the Jewish leaders to kill Lazarus because Lazarus was the evidence of Jesus' power over death. That was to build up faith before Jesus' own death and resurrection. So Satan wants to kill Lazarus, this evidence of resurrection, to put doubt in people's minds about Jesus' own resurrection. Because here it's saying, hey, like Jesus had the power over death. That builds up faith. But if we can murder Lazarus, and then that'll kind of mess up the whole story. Wait, was he raised? Wait, no, you're saying he's dead, so he wasn't really raised then. Was he raised or not? Because he's dead, right? That would have messed up this faith-building sign that Jesus had. They're not successful in killing Lazarus, um, but I do believe the enemy wanted to kill Lazarus to start instilling doubt in Jesus' ability over to raise the dead, the power over death. And then this is going to be this kind of final straw with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. And now they really want to kill Jesus. He raises a guy from the dead, and now they really want to kill him. Doesn't make sense, but the enemy, Satan, he doesn't make sense. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the top-tier leaders of the Jewish faith at the time. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This passage is crazy. 
He's prophesying that we're going to be able to kill Jesus. They were worried that Jesus now, like it was one thing when he was healing the blind. It was one thing when he was healing the deaf. It was an, it, when he's growing limbs back, when he's, people are walking again, when limp limbs are becoming whole again, withered arms. That was one thing. But if he can also raise the dead, everyone is going to start following him. And it's going to be too big of a rise. And Rome is going to get scared by the, all the people following this new Jesus. They're going to think it's some sort of coup and that they're trying to get their land back. And they're, they're trying to start, set up this new kingdom. If he really is this Messiah figure who can raise the dead, his following is only going to be bigger. And it's going to be the downfall of the Jewish nation. And he says that by Jesus' death, he's thinking of it in a different way, but it's a true prophecy. He's just thinking of it wrong. And he says that by Jesus' death, all of us will come together united. If we can get rid of this guy, then the Jews will be united and safe. And even the scattered children of God, like his prophecy is, here is crazy. And it's exactly what Jesus was doing in his death, which was saving all of us bringing all of us together in unity to him. They meant it to get rid of Jesus forever. Jesus' death brought all of us together with him forever, right? It didn't get rid of him. It brought us to him. I think it's amazing. Verse 54, Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea, Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They, keep, they kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Is, isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who, would, who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might re- arrest him. So their plot against Jesus is now more serious than ever. They're trying to take him down. They want to arrest him. They want to murder him. They want to get rid of him. And they're saying it's for the good of the nation. It's for our protection. What we'll see is John 12 all the way through 21 is all about the last week of Jesus. Um, life. It all takes place in this last week, the week leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we're going to take a really close look at these, the last half here of um, John really just looking at these last final elements um, of Christ's life. Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Why? Because he is the resurrection. Because he is the life. You know, scripture tells us all the time that death is not the end for us. In Job it says, I know that my Savior lives, and at the end he will stand on this earth. My flesh may be destroyed, yet from this body I will see God. Psalms 49, but God will rescue me. He will save me from the power of death. In Revelation, Jesus speaks. He says, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever. I have the authority over death and the world of the dead. This is the risen Jesus speaking, saying, I died, but now I'm alive forever and ever, and I have the authority. Let's not be scared of death. It's okay to grieve and weep. Even Jesus wept over his friend, and he knew he was about to raise him from the dead in an hour or less, right? I'm about to go do a miracle, but yes, let's cry for him. Like, we can, we can grieve, we can be sorrowful for sure because it's a loved one that's no longer with us. And death is unnatural. We were not created to die. God created us to live forever in the garden. And because of sin, sin brings this unnatural thing we call death. There is no da- dying from natural causes because the whole thing is unnatural. And something in our spirit knows that. And in Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, he has conquered sin and death. He has the authority. So in him, we have resurrection. We have life. Do you believe that? Do you take hope in it? Do you see it as the hopeful message that this city needs? This is the most important thing. There's nothing that we could talk about more important than the resurrection of the dead through Jesus Christ new life in him. Let's pray.